Okay, begin with verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became a father of his son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 100 years, 105 years and became the father of Enos. Then Seth lived another 807 years after he became the father of Enos, and he had other sons and daughters. So the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And I'm going to stop at that point because a lot of it is repetitious. We will pick up more of the verses as, as we go along, but... Uh, this is one of those chapters that it's easy for us to skip. Do you, do you ever, ever tempted to do that when you, you get to the book of Numbers and you've waded through Leviticus and so forth, and then you come to this long list of names? And the temptation is, just go on to the next chapter or, or, or the, the next several chapters, whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, we might wonder, well, why do we go over a list of names like this? Most of the people that are written about here we know nothing or, or very little about. But the fact of the matter is, it is the Word of God. And so we have a responsibility, I think, to look at it and to see what lessons God has for us in it. Incidentally, it's not just the Word of God. It happens to be your family tree. Because I don't care what country you come from, what your background is today, every one of us goes back to Noah, because that's all who survived the flood, Noah and his family. And, and so this is the generations before Noah, so it, it's our genera- our family tree as well. I gave up in the fifth grade any desire of, of tracing my family tree, my family background. We had a, a our teacher, Mrs. Hinckley, was... Um, one of those teachers that was a pushover. Every day after lunch, she would sit us all down and she would read a story to us. She'd work her way through a book, teaching us to appreciate literature and so forth. And if we said the right things and really complimented her on her reading skills and, and how we enjoyed the story. She'd read another chapter. And, and, and we'd, we'd just stretch that out as long as we could. We, we could kill a whole hour in the afternoon without having to do any work that way. But I, I remember one of the books she read. I have no idea what the name of it was. I have no idea who the author was. I don't know whether it was fact or fiction. But the, one of the main characters had the same last name that I had. And he was hung as a horse thief. <laughs> and, and I still remember everybody asking, was that one of your relatives? And I decided I don't know whether he was a relative or not, and I'm not going to find out. <laughs> uh, my, my da- uh, one of our daughters tried to trace our family tree back, and, and she got back to, I think it was my grandfather or my great-grandfather on my dad's side. And he was raised in an orphanage in Philadelphia. So all the records were sealed, and so nobody knows whether that man was an ancestor of mine or not. It, uh, and I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> I, I don't need, I can get in enough trouble without having that kind of trouble. But this is our heritage here, and I think God has a message in it for us today. 
There, there's something here that each one of us needs to, to learn and to appreciate. We begin here, and we're just going to pick some nuggets of truth out of this chapter. We begin again with the creation of man. Now, this is the uh, third time in five chapters that he recounts the creation of man. I think that says something to us here, that he's taken the time three times now to, to bring this to our attention. Someone has wisely said, if something is repeated in Scripture, you better pay attention. We, we have uh, Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and what? And I say, rejoice. Is there a message in that for us? I believe there is. We, we, we need to go back and pay attention to what he's saying there. And uh, how many times do we forget that? And, you know, something happens and we, we don't rejoice. Uh, there, there, there's a message in that for us. But if it's repeated three times, we better really pay attention. Uh, we, we get a story of that in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah was in the temple praying, seeking the, what was going to happen to the nation because uh, the king had died, Hezekiah had died, and, and so forth. And the Lord appears to him. And if you recall, the seraphim were there. And, and the, the glory of the Lord filled the temple and so forth. And I believe Isaiah was flat on his face before the Lord. And the seraphim cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They emphasized it three times. There was a message in that for Isaiah. And Isaiah caught the message because he goes on to say, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. He recognized in the holiness of God that, that he fell far short of that. And so if God repeats it three times, we better pay attention. There is something in it for us. And so let's take a look at the creation of man again here as he reveals it to us in the opening verse here. First of all, we were made in the image of God. Now, why does he repeat that? We, we saw that back in chapter 1. Let us make man in our image, and, and we were made in the image of God. I think we need to remember at this point in time, Adam and Eve had chosen to rebel against God. They had chosen to eat of the fruit that God said they were not supposed to eat of. They, they were in their sinful, fallen condition. And yet, I think God is emphasizing the fact here that even though we may be marred by sin we still reflect the image of God. That image of God is still placed within us, and we have the responsibility of, of being a picture of that image to others. I like Psalm 139, verse 14, where he says, we are what? We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and marvelous are his works. And we have the privilege of being made today, I believe, in the image of God. And we have the responsibility of revealing that image to our generation and, and to the society in which we find ourselves. You are here for the very purpose of revealing something about God, something about the image of God to those that are gathered around you today. For years, I struggled with the a poor self-image. I felt I could never accomplish anything for God, couldn't be used of God. I, I had grown up in a home where, you know, I could come home with four A's and one B on my report card. And nothing was ever said about the four A's. 
it's why didn't you get an A in this subject? And I, I never felt that I could quite measure up. And the same thing was true. Uh, I, I transferred that for years to my relationship with God. I could never quite measure up to what, what he had for me. I didn't understand that I was made in the image of God, that God had a special purpose for me. Now, thankfully, as time evolved, I, I came to realize that. But you and I are here a unique creation of God, are here to reflect the glory of God to others. Now, as we think about that, I think of Second Corinthians chapter 3, and this isn't in your notes, but in verse 18 it says, we're being what? We're being transformed from glory to glory. God is changing you. God is making you, as time goes on, more and more into the image of God where you can reflect the character of Christ in, in a greater way. And you go down into chapter 4 of, of that passage, 2 Corinthians 4 there, and it speaks of the fact that he's placed that treasure, that image of God, in earthen vessels. And in a sense, what he's saying there is you and I are a bunch of crackpots. <laughs> we, we, we basically are. We, we've sinned just as Adam and Eve has done, and yet God is able to take those cracks as we deal with them, as we confess our sin and, and we let them work in our lives, and somehow the image of God is reflected or sh- shines forth through those cracks so that others looking at us get a glimpse of, of God and of his love and of his grace. We sometimes look back at our failures and think, well, God can't use me anymore. But yes, he can. God can transform those failures. God is able to take them and somehow comfort us in our affliction, and then use us to be a blessing to somebody else. So as he stresses the image of God here, I think what he's saying to us is, you are a unique, you are a special creation. You are special to God, and you have a purpose to fulfill in this life. Also, I think when he stresses the image of God here, he's also dealing with the sanctity of human life. Life is important to God. And we, we need to, to hold life very, very carefully there. Uh, we'll see that emphasized more after the flood, but uh, I, I, I think today we are in trouble as a nation because we have polluted our land with the blood of infants. Uh, we, we have destroyed in so many lives the, the, the image of God there, and God will not hold us guiltless in in those matters there now praise the lord he is able to forgive and he's able to cleanse but it comes with with a a price there to our our nation there we we need to protect i believe the the sanctity of human life we were vividly reminded of that this week we had the uh, somebody i don't know have any idea who or where we got this invitation from but invited us to a free movie in in colville on tuesday night it was uh, a movie uh, depicting, it was based on a true story uh, of a abortion doctor in, in uh, Philadelphia that had gotten tried for murder and, and is in prison facing a, a life with sentence without parole now because of the filth and the practices that he had in his abortion clinic led to the death of one woman or several women actually and then several, uh, and then he would, if the babies were born alive, he would cut their necks so that they would die, and, and, and on and on it went. And, and it, nobody in 
the area would, was willing to touch it. That, that for 17 years, they went without a single inspection from the health department because they're an abortion clinic, and, and you can't pick on the abortion clinics. Finally, this one uh, attorney took on the case and, and eventually won the case, but uh, by that time, uh, he had been in practice for over 30 years, thousands upon thousands of lives that, that he had taken, uh, and what, what a tragedy that is. I think as we, we look at the fact that we're made in the image of God, that we need to stop and just say, thank you, Lord, that you've made us in your image. And Lord, how can we reflect your character? How can we reflect your image to somebody else? And I don't care what has happened in the past. Adam and Eve sinned, yes, but God forgave and God cleansed and God said, now, I want you to reflect. I want you to reveal my image to your generation there. And then he said he made them male and female. He stresses that again for the third time in the the book of Genesis. And again, what I think he is saying in that is both are essential to reflect the image of God. One without the other is not complete. Uh, Both are valuable, equally valuable before God. We need both of them in our society if, if we are going to reflect the image of God. And I think we do tremendous damage to the cause of Christ when we ignore the fact that God's created male and female, and they are different. They have different roles. They have different responsibilities. They have different ways of revealing the image of God or reflecting the image of God today. Each one is unique. God has blessed, and we we thank him for what he has done in our life. I was thinking of that this morning as I was sitting there at my desk reflecting on this message. And, and we're in the middle of getting ready to do a pastor search here. And I, I've always said to the congregations when I leave, don't try to replace Pastor Dan. If, if you do, you're going to get somebody that loves snow. <laughs> yeah. And on and on it goes. No, it God wants to do something different. He has something different that he wants to do. Uh, Different roles, different responsibilities, and let's let God be God in in that area. God has a variety of ways of creating and and reflecting his image. And let's find the one that God wants to do that in, in, in our midst here. But that leads from there into the continuation of man. Again, I'm not... Sure, I like that word, but uh, it does start with a C. And, and so I'm going to use it here this morning. Adam and Eve passes off the scene, and yet life goes on. And uh, if, if you do the math, and having been a math major in college, I, I like to play around with the numbers. If you do the math in this chapter, you will find it covers 1,656 years of human history. And I believe God put those numbers in there for a reason. I, I personally believe the timeline is accurate. I, I believe that God has included it for a purpose. And we need to, take, to pay attention to what he is saying there. And we'll look at that more on the next point. But uh, the uh, notice verse 3 with me there. Adam lived 130 years. He became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to the image, and he named him 
Seth. Now, this is the third recorded son that, w- that we have of, of Adam and Eve here, but it, he, he jumps past Cain and Abel to, to Seth at this point in time. And uh, notice he says he was made in his likeness in his image now. What is he suggesting in that? I think he is saying to us that the image of God lives on. Yes, Adam and Eve passed off the scene, but they communicated that likeness, that image to Seth. It it was passed from father to son. That's both an encouraging truth and a disturbing truth when, when you stop and think about it. Encouraging in that we are all, just as Adam and Eve were, we are all valuable to God. He has a purpose for, for each one of us, and, and we can uh, be encouraged in, in that fact. Somehow, God wants to take each one of us and reveal his glory through us, to our family, to our community, to the lost. And I think sometimes we need to pray, Lord, be glorified through me. Lord, use me somehow. Take those cracks. Take those imperfections. Take all that you've built into my life and somehow be glorified so that others looking at me can get a glimpse of of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a good prayer for all of us to pray. When, When, what does God want to reveal through you to your family? You ever stop and ponder that? What, what, what is your purpose? What, what does he want to reveal to your children? What does he want to reveal to, to other family members? Ask God to, to be glorified through your life. It's also a disturbing truth in that that image of Adam now, that likeness, also includes the fallen nature. In, in Romans chapter 12, he speaks of the fact Excuse me, chapter 5, in verse 12, he, he speaks of the fact, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, death through sin, so death spread to all men because all had sinned. Notice he places the responsibility there on Adam's shoulders. It's because Adam sinned that sin passed to each one of us, and uh, the result was we all face death there. And that's repeated over and over again in this chapter. And men, the disturbing part about this thought here is if your children misbehave, it's your fault. <laughs> you pass the sin nature on to them. Not, don't, don't blame mom for that. Uh, it's, it's dad's fault there is what he's saying here. But praise the Lord, he goes on to speak of the fact that there's a second Adam, and that's Jesus Christ. And he came to set us free from the bondage of sin and, and death there. So God's not finished just because we have fallen. He hasn't, his work is still going on in our lives. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, he speaks of the fact, having put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal that is taking place in our hearts. So he is recreating us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, we wrestle with the old and the new nature today, the desire to do what God wants us to do, and then to find out that at times the flesh is weak, and we we don't always do what we should. But praise the Lord, he is recreating us into the image of Jesus Christ. One of the problems with uh, theistic evolution is if there's no first Adam, then there's no second Adam. 
and we're lost if there's no second Adam there. Uh, and uh, as you think of this passage, I think one of the truths that comes out of it is we have the privilege, we have the responsibility to pass godly values on to our children and to our grandchildren. In Third John chapter 4, John says, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. What a tremendous blessing that was for John. And I'm going to put a burden on those of you that, uh, you know, when we approach the empty nest, we think, we're done. And you breathe a sigh of relief. Guess what? Turn to Psalm 78 for just a minute here in, in verses 5 through 8. He says, he established it for a testimony and Jacob appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. Okay, we understand that. You raised your children, you, you taught them the word of God and so forth. But then he goes on to say that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious nation there. What is he saying in that? We have the responsibility not just to pass on our values to our kids, but if God blesses with grandchildren, you have a responsibility to to reveal the the image of God to those grandchildren. And, And then when that comes along and you think you're finished with that job, then he says to the generation to come after that. So that's four generations he's talking about there. We have the responsibility to pass it on, to, to reveal the glory of God. And, and uh, somebody said one of the values of grandkids is that uh, if you got it wrong the first time, you get a second chance <laughs> to, to, to do it right the second time. And, and praise the Lord, God will use you somehow to reflect the image, the glory of God to those kids. And maybe even if he tarries to the, to the great-grandkids as well. Your job isn't finished just because the kids leave home. It, it's just starting. And uh, praise the Lord, he has given us that privilege. Well, that leads to the, the confirmation here of Scripture or of God's Word now. I think two thoughts come out of this chapter if you take time to to read it and study it. First of all, I think the truth is that God's word is accurate. It is true. How can we be so sure of that? Have you ever played that game? We do it once in a while with the kids in in Awana if we we want to really try to get them to quiet down a little bit. Uh, Somebody whispers something in, in their ear and they pass it on to the next and it goes around the circle and usually by the time it gets to the end, it's completely different than, than what it started with. How that happens, I don't know. But uh, that's one of the reasons we went to the um, Internet foot with our prayer chain. We, we found that by the time the message went through several people and then it got back, we found out it was altogether different than what it was, how it was started. And so if we put it on the Internet, everybody gets the same thing and the same message and all can pray for, for, for the same thing there. But when it comes to the word of God here, if you read through this chapter and you take time to diagram it out and do the math, and I realize some of you 
don't understand why math is the best subject in the world but uh, or in school but it is and take my word for it but if if you study out the the mathematics here you will find that adam could have told the story of creation to methuselah and he could have told it to noah it's like telling a story to your grandkids do they get the the accurate story yes because it's it's told from a grandparent to a to a, a grandchild there that uh, 1,600 years of history here, it only had to be told three times or, or two times to, to get it to Noah. And so I believe it, it's, it's accurate. And, and that was translated on. And actually, by the time you come down to Abraham's day, it was only told four times, only had to be told four times. And so can we trust his word? I think we can. God is accurate in what he says it's also reliable here it is believable notice the phrase that's repeated over and over throughout this chapter it says uh, it says uh, i'll go down to to verse five there so all the days of adam were 930 years and he died and you're going to find that with each and every one of these, except for Enoch there. And we'll look at Enoch in just a minute there. But it, it gives how long they lived when they had that, that child, then how much longer they lived, and then they died. What's the significance in that? If you recall, in the beginning of time, God said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall what? You shall surely die. Die they did spiritually. That, that fellowship with God was broken in that moment, but also physically they all went through the process of death. The fact is God is serious about his word. If he gives a promise or if he gives a warning, he means it. And it is we can rely on that fact today. And so when we think about that, what does it say to us today? i give you a couple verses to, to meditate on. John chapter 3, verse 36, he says, He that believeth in the Son has eternal life. He does not, who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. But notice that first phrase, He who believes in the Son has what? Has eternal life. Go down to chapter 5, verse 24 there, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. How do we know we have eternal life today? We have it because God said so. Uh, God said, in the day you eat, you shall surely die, and die they did. And if God says, if we put our faith and trust in him, we have eternal life, then guess what? We have eternal life. We will spend eternity with him in glory. Years ago, Sir Walter Scott, an Englishman, was asked, asked the question, is death the last sleep? And as he pondered and reflected on that, he said, no, it is the final awakening, recognizing that someday he was going to go to sleep in this world, wake up in glory. Victor Hugo, in, in the book Message of John, in the Bible Speaks Today series, says this. When I go to the grave, 
I can say like so many others that I have finished my day's work. But I cannot say that I have finished my life. Another day's work will begin the next morning. The tomb is not a blind alley. It is a thoroughfare. It closes with the twilight to open with the dawn. We have that hope today that even if we go through the process of death, we have eternal life. God will keep his word. Hebrews chapter 6, when God made a promise to Abraham, it said he couldn't find anybody greater than himself, so he swore by himself, by his uh, character and by the, the reliability of his word. He made a promise to Abraham, and he continues to keep that promise to you and I today. That's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because as we said, we, we go to sleep in this world, we wake up in glory with him. What a tremendous privilege that is for, for the child of God to realize today. God has promised it. God's word is reliable. It was demonstrated back in the book of Genesis. It continues to be reliable today. That leads into the fourth point here, the communion of Enoch. Notice verse 22 through 24 here. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. He had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Now he is one of the only ones in this genealogy that died young. Well, no, excuse me, that passed away from this earth young. He didn't die. I believe Enoch pictures for us the, the, the rapture because God took him there. It's interesting, we know so little about Enoch. In Jude chapter 14, it speaks of the fact that he was a prophet. He was the seventh from Adam. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God took him up, for he obtained this witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And basically, that's about all we know about Enoch. Now, he, we do have an apocryphal book named after Enoch. Whether he actually wrote it or not it is not clear there. But uh, it's interesting as you think about Enoch. I, I think of the story of the little boy in Sunday school that came home and, and uh, his parents asked him what he learned in Sunday school. Why they weren't in Sunday school, I don't know. I, I went through that for a couple years before my parents started going back to church as well. But uh, they had the story of Enoch, and, and he said they, they walked together, and one day uh, God said to Enoch, you know, you're closer to my house than yours, so why don't you come home with me tonight? And uh, went home to be with the Lord. As I think about that, I, I think it's interesting here. It, it stresses in, in, in the book of Jude that he was the seventh from Adam. Now, when you read the story of Cain, uh, as we looked at it last week, do you remember who the seventh from Adam was there? It was the days of Lamech. Lamech was a bigamist. La Laman was a murderer. Laman was a violent individual. And I believe you're approaching at this point in time the days of Noah. A very difficult time in, in, in which to... to 
to live a very dark day. And yet, praise the Lord, in the midst of that, the darkness of that day, here was Enoch walking with God. What does that say to us? We're living in a dark time. We're, we're living in a day when men are turning away from God, but we can still walk with God. We still have that privilege. It doesn't matter how dark the world may get. You and I have the privilege of being able to walk with God. In First John chapter 1, in verse 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. We can live for God irregardless of what others around us are doing today. We can walk in the light. In Ephesians, he speaks of the fact that as his children, we're to walk worthy of the calling with which he has called us. We, we are to walk in, he, in the, he goes on to amplify that in, in Ephesians 4 and 5. He says, we're to walk in the light. We're to walk in wisdom. We're, we're, we're to walk in love. All of this is to be revealed through us. We have that tremendous privilege of walking with God. Do we take the time to walk with him? Do, do we take the time on a regular basis to get into his word? Do, do we take the time to, to spend time in prayer with him? Or do we get so busy that a day just slips by and we haven't even taken time to think about the Lord or, or, or to interact with him? I, I think as we think of Enoch here, I think we could be approaching the day when God says, it's time. Why don't you come to my house? John chapter 14 speaks of the fact that I go away. If I go away, I'll come again and I'll receive you unto myself there. I, I believe we could be approaching the moment when the father says, go get my children and bring them home. Uh, when, when the rapture occurs, we, we may not have to go through the process of death. He, he could take us home at any time. And yet, as I reflect on that, I have to ask, are we communing with the Lord? Are we ready? If he said, this is the day, this is the time for my church to come home, would we be ready? Or would there be some areas in our life that we would have to deal with before the judgment seat of Christ? Are we living in such a way, communing with God as Enoch did, so that he had the testimony that God took him because of his love for him? That leads then the final one is the comfort here of Methuselah. Methuselah was the uh, is the final one that we're going to look at. He he comes out of verse twenty five through twenty seven. There, he was perhaps the longest living man, or was at least the longest living man that we know of in Scripture. He lived nine hundred and sixty nine years. His name can be translated many ways. Some translate it a man of a javelin. Others translate it going forth. The, the idea behind his, his name is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Now, as you think about that, uh, he died in the year that the flood came. And so uh, he, he lived long enough just about up to the, when the, the flood came. I think there's an encouragement in that. Uh, as the oldest man in Scripture, I, I think of what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but is what? Long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. God 
gave man that long length of time through Methuselah, even though he said through him that judgment was coming, God delayed that judgment for a long period of time. And as I think about that, it would be great if we would hear the trumpet call today and suddenly we were out of the bondage of this earthly body as we know it, if suddenly we were transformed and changed out of this world and and into the the glorious future that God has prepared for us, and we can only begin to imagine what what that includes. But I don't know about you, but if if I heard the trumpet call today, I'm not going to shed any tears. (laughs) I'm going to be rejoicing on on the way up. Uh, 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 Older I get, the more I realize I don't need this body for eternity. He's got something far better in in, in mind and in, in store for us there. But as much as we like to think it would be great to be home with the Lord in glory, what if his delay means the salvation of one more person? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 2, he says, this is the day of salvation. Today is still the day of grace. And we are here, why? So that we can reflect the glory of God to someone else and give them the opportunity of coming to Jesus Christ. Uh, we realize our, our time is short. Uh, I was reading this morning in Psalm 90. Uh, our days are three score and ten. If you do the math on that, that's how many? Seventy years. Uh, any of you like me beyond that? Uh, Few of us are. (laughs) And as you think about that, he says, if by reason of strength, it's 80 years. But we all realize that our days. And yet, as we think about that's just on this earth. We're looking forward to being with him in glory. I was thinking of that with the building program. How many invested time and effort into the building, knowing that in a few short years, they're not going to be here to enjoy it. Why did we do it? Why, why not let the younger people do it? If they want a church, let them build it themselves. <laughs> we, we did it because we believe that somehow God is going to use it as a means of reaching others with the gospel message. And whether we get to enjoy it very long or not isn't the important thing. The important thing is if somebody comes to Jesus Christ as a result of that, we get to spend eternity together with them in glory celebrating that fact. Today is still the day of grace. God is still tarrying, and let's use those days to the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, he closes with Noah, and I'm not going to go into Noah today. We'll take up his story next time, and and the next several times, actually, here. But as we look at what he is saying in this passage today, several applications come out of it. First of all, I think as we look at this long list of individuals, some we know something about, some we don't. But the fact of the matter is, each one of them was a unique creation of God, the same as you are today, a unique creation of God. God has created you for the very purpose of reflecting his glory to someone else. We were fearfully and wonderfully made, it says in Psalms. What does that say? The next time you look in the mirror, don't criticize the handiwork of God. Thank God that he created you the way he did. Now, I... And saying that if your hair needs combing, comb it. But uh, uh, you need to paint the barn, paint the barn. I don't care about that. <laughs> but, but don't stand there and say, Lord, 
why did you make me like this? Why didn't you give me this feature or that? No, God knew what he was doing. He created you as a unique individual. You have something special that you have to reveal about the glory of God to your generation, not only to your generation, but the generation to come and the generation after that. You have the privilege of reflecting the image of God, his glory in some way. Do you take the time to say, thank you, Lord, for creating me. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to me. Thank you for the the, the blessing that you had in shaping me the way you did. I, I don't understand it, but I thank you for it. Are, are we recognizing we are a unique creation of God? And then are we recognizing that we have the responsibility as crackpots? Yes. But we have the responsibility to pass on that glory to others, to our children, to our grandchildren, even to our great-grandchildren. We have the responsibility of communicating the grace of God, the the love of God, the, the character of God to others. Are we living in such a way that others, whether it's our children, our grandchildren, whether it's somebody in society, whether it's somebody in the church, are we living in such a way that somebody looking at us gets a glimpse of Jesus Christ? That's what we're here for. We're made in his image, made to reflect his image, made to reveal God to our generation today. And I don't care how difficult it may get out there, how dark it may be. We have the light of his glory placed within us. We can be the light. We can reflect the light. We can share that light with others today and watch God work in hearts and lives. Let's pray. Father, again we stop and we say thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We don't always fully appreciate that or understand that, but you said it, and so it has to be true. We thank you that even though we may have fallen at times, even though we may have done some things that we look back on and wonder why in the world we did it or or wish we hadn't, yet you are still able to forgive to cleanse, to pick us up and say, now reflect my glory to your kids, to your grandkids, to your neighbors, to those that you work with. May we be a living reflection of Jesus Christ to others this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.